a friend of mine had a buddy, another guy, uh, text him, and he said, uh, the, the text message started this way. It just said, hey, boo, want to go catch a movie? Question mark. So my friend said, um, sure, but why did you call me boo? So the guy texted back and said, oh, great. Uh, well, that depends. What does boo mean? I thought it meant like my buddy. And the guy said, no, that means my boyfriend. <laughs> Uh, maybe Yoga Bear would say it this way, a word becomes more meaningful when you know what it means. <laughs> As those of you who have already been texting using the word boo might have missed. Uh, and I want us to think about what the word unity means. What do you think of when you hear the word unity? It's a very important concept and one that Scripture over and over again brings up as a theme. In fact, it's so important that it, that it is a part of our witness to the world. When we are unified, Scripture says, people know that Jesus is the Son of God, which seems like an interesting leap mentally. But look that one up in John 17 later. You see, unity is something we must have. It demonstrates and proves that we are, in fact, Christians. So I actually have 10 things if you're a note taker. Later on, you're not going to have to take notes. But if you want to take notes and you're like, it wasn't a sermon if I didn't take notes, I'm going to give you 10 things and I'm going to give them to you so fast, you're going to have to really pay attention. I'm going to give you four things unity is not, then I'm going to give you six things that unity is. The first thing that unity is not, it's not being Pollyanna. It's not saying, oh, let's just all get along because everything's fine. That's my Pollyanna voice. I won't use that again. But it's not that. Sometimes we think that people who want to be unified as though it's just hold hands and sing kumbaya. No, unity is a depth of experience unlike anything other. Unity is not being Pollyanna. It's also not being unthinking or uncritical. Sometimes we think that unity, the people that have fellowship with one another, they're not like us. We're the ones that have learned how to be critical and see all the problems in things. We're the ones that have learned about all the nuances and everything, and, and so I really can't be unified with everyone or we don't all agree. I'm here to emphasize the disagreements. Well, unity is actually for critical thinkers. <laughs> in fact, critical thinking is one of the greatest uses and tools in the church for unity. Because the people that can actually see the reasons that we are becoming disunified, the reasons that things are broken, are the ones that can share how we can make the unity better. So it's not Pollyanna. It's not unthinking. It's also not unquestioning. To be in unity doesn't mean you just button your lips and never say anything. It's about how you say it and where you say it. It's about saying it to the right person at the right time in the right way. So you still bring the questions, you just bring them to the right person in the right time in the right way. And so it's definitely not Pollyanna, it's not unthinking, it's not unquestioning, it's also not suppression. So that's the four things, suppression. This is for the leaders, the ones who already have a lot of people under them. They already know they have to lead. So the shepherding thing was more of an add value to you. For us, Suppressing dissent is not unity. Making sure nobody says anything in the corporation or whatever, says anything that, that, that is not 
creating unity. That actually creates and puts it underground and makes it even less healthy. So there's a sense in which we need to have unity in all these ways, and that's not what unity is. Unity is six things. In fact, unity is talked about in this very passage. It's the, where the whole idea of John chapter 10 ends here. In verse 16, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, which is the theme in this passage, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. One flock and one shepherd. We need to think of this unity and what it is. First of all, it's loyalty to people. Do you have a tendency to be loyal to ideas more than people? Do you have a tendency to be loyal to institutions over people? You see, the unity in the kingdom of God is a unity towards first the one shepherd and then unity to the flock, to actual people. And the reason for that is the second thing that unity is. That means that we believe the best in people. It means that we don't, when we hear something, assume the worst. Part of having a unifying presence in the flock is when we hear about something, we, we hope the best, we believe the best, we think that must be, and we check it out first before we assume the worst. Amen? So we start, first of all, by loyalty to people, then believing the best, and then we tame our tongues because of that. What we say in the flock is a big deal. <laughs> And what we say is probably the major thing that affects the unity of the people around us. This is true in all the areas we'll talk about. We're going to talk about four of them. But it's true in all of them in many different dynamics. So we tame our tongues and do what Scripture says in James. So we're loyal to people, not just ideas or institutions. We believe the best. We tame our tongues. And we encourage publicly, which is the, the next one. And then the one after that is we challenge privately or confront privately. We encourage publicly. We confront privately. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes, did y'all get like a new translation over Christmas of Scripture? So, sometimes I think I, that I, some of the way I hear we Christians behaving, I sometimes think maybe you're using a different translation. And so, I sort of wrote down what I think the translation is that some of us are reading. And I think in Matthew chapter 18, you don't have to look it up. I'll read you from the new translation I think we're using, which is, if a brother or sister sins, go and point out the fault on Facebook. <laughs> if they listen to you, you've won them over. Is that the new translation? Because mine says, go and point out the fault just between the two of you. And then if they don't listen, you come with someone else. And then you really have to bring it to the church and say, this person has sinned. And so we encourage publicly, we confront privately. And then finally, we test and approve. I do think that there are times when we hear things that are wrong. Yes, we do need to actually make sure that we're teaching the right things. But how do we do that? Well, again, from the new translation I think some of us are using, from Romans 12, verse 2, says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be self-righteous and angry. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Well, I don't know about you, but my translation says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The new translation I think many of us are using also seems to say in 1 John chapter 4, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. 
especially to make sure that they're voting the way that you do. (laughs) Because many false prophets are voting for the wrong people these days. It goes on to say in that chapter, there is fear in love. Perfect love encourages fear because fear has to do with punishment, and a lot of people need that. Is that the passage? No. There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. So, we need to be loyal to people, believe the best, tame the tongue, encourage publicly, confront privately, and we need to test and approve what his goodwill is. So, all of these things, that's your list. You don't have to take notes anymore if you're not a note taker. All of this that I just described, unity, it has a place. Did you know unity has a place? It's back here. The gate. The gate talked about is true in our lives in several different ways. It's actually true in your home, it's true in your school, it's true in your work, and it's true in your church. And I need your help in doing this. We're going to actually have some people help us uh, to get some things for these volunteers. I actually need about 10 of you to volunteer. So go ahead and raise your hand if you'd like to be a volunteer. Over here from this section, here. Yes, come on up, come on up. I need two more from this section. Someone else? Who would like to volunteer their neighbor? Yeah, you could come. And her, yes, back there. Please come on up. Yeah, you can come up here to this. And they're going to help you. Uh, Come on over here. And then over here I need two people from this section. Two? Yeah? Yeah? Yeah, sure. And then all four of you. Come on up. Oh, were you? uh, you, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Come on up. Come on up here, guys. Go over to this table. And what we're going to do, you guys aren't off the hook. You think you're off the hook, but you're not. What I need you guys to do is, uh, is dress up like sheep. So here, get going on that. Thanks. Okay, now, I need some, who, who, who has their little teeth? Hold up your teeth. You got your teeth? Some of you are wiping the spit off of them first because you already have them in your mouth. That's fine. Okay, someone with their teeth, come on up here. Yeah, do you want to come on up here? Yeah, help me out. So you're going to be our wolf. So you got to put your teeth in, and you need to act like a wolf. So I need you to head right up there towards the gate because that's where the wolf hangs out. Thanks, brother. Right up here to the front. Okay, now, I need somebody that has fallen asleep at some point in their class at school. Who has fallen asleep in class and you'll admit it? At some point you've fallen asleep in class. Anyone? Yeah, okay, right here. You just got, uh, yeah, looks like you've got uh, volunteered. Sorry about that. Uh, So what I need you to do is to come up here. (laughs) And if you could sit over on that uh, lawn chair. Okay. And then uh, I want everybody to close their eyes and discern right now from the Lord uh, who in the room is someone you really, 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 really respect. And before you open your eyes, point at them. Point in the general direction of where they are. Point at them. Everybody do it now. Keep your eyes closed. Point. Uh, You're not pointing. Everybody point. Point at somebody you respect. Point at somebody you respect. Now keep pointing and open your eyes. Keep pointing. Keep pointing. Who has the most points? Where are you? Everybody's pointing this direction. Who is it? Okay, here, come on up. Okay, Dr. Wright, it's tough being president. (laughs) Uh, So you are our shepherd and a pretty darn good one. Okay, head on up there right by the gate. Yeah, head on up there right by the gate, by the wolf. 
Yeah, you don't get out of this. Sorry, they elected you. Okay, I think we've got our entire cast, so please go behind the gate, guys. Open that up. You're the sheep back there. Yeah, it's kind of hard with the masks on, I know. So what happens is the sheep are back in here in the gate, and what happens is the sheep, okay, guys, please make sheep sounds. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, okay. And uh, the shepherd leads a sheep out of the gate over there. Let's say there's grass over there, shepherd. Great. Okay, now follow, the, follow your shepherd. Yeah. Okay. Now, as this is happening, everybody stop. As this is happening, what happens is the wolf. Give us your scary wolf. You're, you're good at this. You've done this before. Okay. He, he does two things. The wolf, and see what the shepherd already knows his job. He's had experience. <laughs> and don't you wish you had the stick in real life? Uh, the wolf does two things. You see it in your passage. This is actually scriptural. I'm not just goofing off here. In your passage, he does two things. Do you see it? He attacks and he scatters. So go for it. Attack and scatter. Now scatter. Scatter. Okay. Okay, everybody pause. <laughs> oh, this is worth it. Okay. He attacks and scatters. Okay, there's another person in the passage. Do you read about them? They're right here. Yeah, oh, you're a good actress. Great. And, and what does the hired hand say? I'm sleeping. Oh, you could just snore. Go ahead and snore. Okay. I don't know how to snore. <laughs> That's not what your roommate told me. <laughs> okay, so the hired hand does nothing. In fact, it says for three reasons. The first thing the hired hand does, you see it in your passage, is avoids the whole deal. That Thus, the, the lawn chair. The second thing that the hired hand does is they end up abandoning the sheep. So attack again and abandon the sheep. Yeah, flee. You're like, I'm minimum wage, forget this. <laughs> Good job. And so, okay, everybody stop. And as this happens, you, you wonder, why does the hired hand do this? It's not just because they aren't paid enough, although that might be a problem. It says in the scripture, it's because the hired hand is careless. Sorry about that. Yeah, you got the bad role. But uh, the hired hand does not care what happens to the sheep in the end. And then, of course, the final role, the one, and of course, the shepherd is right here by the, keeping watch, right? Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. He's defending. Now, there's, there's four things that Pastor Steve has been talking to us about in this passage about what the shepherd does. Do you remember it? It's kind of like a baseball diamond. What's the one at the top? The shepherd knows. The shepherd knows the sheep, and the sheep know his or her voice. And then the one over here on this side, do you remember that one? The shepherd feeds. So the shepherd feeds the sheep and makes sure that they're growing. And then over here, the shepherd also protects. So that he did that right away with the stick. That's a lot of what we're talking about today because unity is threatened. Unity is at stake at the gate. And so part of what the shepherd does is make sure that there's not a scattering. Make sure that they're gathered together and safe. And then the final one on the bottom, it says lead. So the shepherd knows, feeds, protects, and lead. So you got all four. Boy, you guys did good on that. You get like a A minus. A few of you weren't sharing, but it's okay. Now, so this is what happens, and I want you guys to give a huge hand to our wonderful actors. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. 
Unity is at stake at this gate. And here's the deal. When it comes to the wolf activity, have you ever noticed that wolves, we think other people are wolves and we can never imagine that we would be. But here's a little test for you on whether or not you might be engaged in a little bit of wolf activity. You might be the one that initially thinks, you know what? Isn't there an exception? You might say, oh, we want unity, yes, but, but what if there's false teaching? What if there are people that are saying wrong things? What if they're not leading right? And here, here's the thought, and maybe this is a bit of conviction for you. Is it really the exception for you? Because there are exceptions. There are times when we need to challenge, privately remember, confront, publicly encourage. But is that really all you do? Is that what you're spending your time with? Is that your initial reaction too much to think, oh, I need to confront? <laughs> because I would say that confronting should be the exception, not the rule, like you were just saying in your head. If confronting and challenging is the rule and the exception for you is unity, oh, yeah, I'll go along with that, then maybe you're not a prophet. Maybe you're a wolf. Hear me? That's what the Matthew passage is talking about. There are some people who say they are prophets who are actually wolves. That's the dangerous thing about them. And here's the deal. Here's my challenge to you. I think many of you can no longer say you're a sheep. You're, you've not been a sheep for a while. And I don't know if it's experiences or gifts that you have or skills that you have or a position you have, but somehow you already are not a sheep. And if you haven't chosen wisely, you might be a hired hand or even worse, a wolf. And what I would say to you is examine how you interact with people in four areas and discover whether or not you are actually intentionally being a unifying Shepherd, there are four areas this gate lies. It lies, as I mentioned a moment ago, at home, in your school if you're a student, at your work if you work somewhere, and also in your church if you go to church, whether this one or maybe you're visiting from out of town. And in those four areas, which in a moment I'm going to actually ask you to commit to pray that God would help you see how you can be a unifying shepherd in one of those four ways. This is the very practical realities here. So next week, we'll commission ourselves and say, I'm going to commit to this. But this week, I'm telling you where the gate is, where the challenge for you as a shepherd probably lies. It lies at home. So this week, I was preaching in Canada several times. And this has been a challenge in this season. I'm traveling a whole lot right now. And my, my kids don't see me much. And so the unity challenge in our family is I'm just not there. In fact, hear this one. One of when I explain to my kids at the beginning of January about my schedule the next few months, which we sometimes do that and just sort of say, get ready, one of my kids actually said, oh, Dad, so I guess we're giving you up for Lent. <laughs> oh, here, here's your knife. Uh, so that's a challenge to our unity as a family, even just proximity. Others of you have a challenge, maybe you're, maybe you're, a blended family, or maybe you're going through a tension in your marriage, or maybe some of your kids are fighting with one another. Maybe there's some external factors like a loss of a job, a loss of a loved one. 
maybe an illness that's challenging your unity. Well, what I love is each of my kids this week emailed me a prayer. And they just prayed for what I was doing. And I tell you what, I'm not a weeper. But I wept when I read those prayers mean more to me than any saint's prayers ever. There they are, little kids and teenagers. They're intentionally working to unify with me. I'm supposed to be the shepherd, right? Well, no. They're already learning to be a shepherd. So I don't care how old you are. You could be intentional to be a shepherd in your home. Then there's a school. If you're a student somewhere, do you know that you have a role in leading others around you? I didn't. I was a freshman. I was a freshman going to Indiana Wesleyan University decades and decades ago <laughs> when I was young. And I, one thing I loved about chapel is it was an old college church. Now, old college church used to be under this big old building over across the parking lot. And, it, I mean, it wasn't under the building. They built the building after that. But anyway, you know what I mean. So it was there. And in that room, you could go in and the back row, for some of you in here remember this, the back row was against the wall, the back pew. And I could sit in that back pew and put my head on the back of the wall, which enabled me to sleep. That was awesome. I miss that sometimes. But <laughs> and I could just, could just veg out or I just close my eyes so that it, it took no muscle movement in order to be in chapel and just sort of sit there and, and fall asleep sometimes. And I was not engaged. And I am ashamed to say I did that for almost the whole first year of college. And then... The second year of college, the first few chapels, there was a guy that would sit down right here on the front row. And he had big frizzy hair. And he would like, like even during, he would, in the worship time, if they were like, hey, we're going to sing, he'd be like, he'd jump up and raise his hands up. And we're, we're all still like waking up in the crowd. And he'd start singing. You could just see he was totally worshiping God. And then even during like the prayer time, he would stay like with his hands up to God. And I'm way back there. I'm like, what a weirdo. <laughs> and then I met him that week out playing beach volleyball. Any of you play beach volleyball in Indiana? <laughs> out on the sand near the cornfields? So we were playing the sand volleyball. And I met this guy and found out his name was Moose, which makes sense. He was from Canada. He's big. He's lumbering, so on and so forth. But anyway, that's his nickname, Moose. Later on, he became a pastor. And people called him Pastor Moose, which is somewhat hard when you're in pastoral counseling, I guess. But uh, so anyway, I said, why are you up there in the front, Moose? And he said, oh, it's so much better up there. So much better. He said, I can get so much more out of the message and the worship is awesome. Nothing distracts me. It gets in my way. He's like, you need to sit up there with me. You'll love it. So I was like, okay, whatever. I'm like, can I sleep? He's like, no, you won't sleep. You'll love it. So I come and sit by him. And you know what? He was right. That just lit me on fire. I don't know what it was, but I was just somehow all engaged. And I love how you guys, I get preach here last decade, and you guys always help me out. People in the front row know that it's true. And it just lit them, me on fire. And in fact, what happened was Moose was so contagious in this excitement of the front row that other people started to join us too. And it started to crowd the front rows in this chapel I used to think was boring. In fact, there were so many people 
packed in the front row, and some of the, the older trustees in the church remember this, that we actually had so many people in the front row that the front pew broke in half. Like it split all the way down the long old wooden pew. And they had to actually like screw the thing back together so that we could keep worshiping on the front row in chapel. What was Moose doing? He was being a unifying shepherd. He was being an example of the right posture to actually allow worship to happen in his heart. And he unified us into a real movement on that campus at the time. I was in a meeting with somebody at my workplace that I work with, a colleague, and we were talking about something somebody was doing and several different things. And have you ever been in a meeting with someone, just one-on-one, at your workplace, and it seems as though, even though the meeting wasn't intended to be this way, it starts to be a meeting of all the weaknesses of another person not in the room. Almost as, I mean, you never put it on the board, like, what are the weaknesses of Joe? <laughs> but that's what the meeting starts to sound like, almost like you're whiteboarding somebody else's flaws. I'm sorry to say we were doing this. And the other person in the meeting with me stopped, almost like went like this, but said, you know what? How can we help him win? How can we help him win? And then we changed the subject to, okay, yeah, there's some problems, but neither of us were the direct supervisor of this person. How could we do this, that, or the other thing to help them see some of these things without being harsh? And then also, what are some of these things that aren't their fault, that are just maybe things we could help get better? And that little phrase is what? That's being a unifying shepherd in my life and in our whole, our whole business, our whole place of work. If you can use that phrase and the many other phrases that help do this, it unifies people instead of scattering, instead of attacking It becomes so easy for us to be the attacking, scattering kind or to be like the hired hand. Maybe other people are doing it. We're not the ones brainstorming somebody's weaknesses, but we just sit back in the lawn chair. We avoid, we abandon. Why? Because we don't care. Well, don't be a hired hand. Don't be a wolf. Choose to be a unifying shepherd in your place of work. And then the last one is, of course, church. You know what? Seven years ago, we in this church started a, a process called Soul Shift. In fact, we're still talking about it. We're talking about it today. And in that process of Soul Shift, uh, we actually made a little book. This, you can't get this anymore. In fact, I didn't want people to read this version because it, I like gobbled it up on eBay and, and Amazon and stuff to make sure nobody saw it. Because there's only 300 copies of this. Is there anybody here in the room that actually has a copy of this still on their shelf somewhere? Back there, one or two, a couple people here. So... Well, what happened was we wanted to give this out to the people in the church that were the leaders. And so we did that, about 300 of them. And as we did that, something interesting happened. There was one guy named John Hevelin. And John is an older guy in our church. And for those of you who don't know John, he's just really respected and he serves really hard. And John, at the time, and maybe in some respects still to this day, he was the kind of guy that everybody listened to. He was the E.F. Hutton. He was the guy that people respected amongst this older group in our church. And he read this, and I'm sad to say, he found not only a bunch of typographical errors, he found stuff that was flat out untrue. Some stuff that was like heresy. That was the stuff the Neff wrote. But uh, (laughs) well, what did he do? Well, he comes in my office, he says, Dave, 
I love that you're trying to do this, but there's a lot of stuff need, you know, really is hard. He gives me his copy of the book. It's full of red and it's full of a couple things he actually like typed out and put in there. Like, hey, think about this. He privately confronted me and said, there's so many things we need to do. This was huge, my friends, because what happened is we took all that and rewrote it and expanded it to be twice as long and way better. And not only did we as a whole church go through this six years ago, but what happened was this spread to other people. I don't know if you realize this, but thousands of churches, literally thousands of churches across many denominations. I'm doing like five United Methodist churches this year that are going through soul shift together. So, but now what could have John done? John Hevelin could have said one word in a Sunday school class or a prayer meeting and thrown us under the bus, couldn't he? He could have said, yeah, I don't, or he could have just said something very vague. I don't know, I read that. There seems to be a lot wrong with it, which was true. He wasn't wrong, but he knew the right people to talk to in the right way at the right time in order to confront privately and make it better. And because of him and this church, that became something that influenced many, many other people. So, we as a church have the opportunity next week to commission people. We want to have 300, as I mentioned at the beginning of the message, we want to have 300 at least say, hey, I'm going to join up, I'm going to be a part of this, I'm going to be a shepherd. And so in a moment, we're actually going to sing together in worship. And as we do that, I want you to think about the fact that next week you might be commissioned, but this week you want something to happen in your soul. 